Welcome to 10 Minute TechCom. This is Ryan Weber at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. And I'm really pleased to present our very first ever live episode. This was recorded live on August 29th, 2018 at the Yellowhammer Brewery in Huntsville, Alabama. And I had a great conversation with Kristen Scroggin. She's the owner and lead trainer of Gen Y, that's G-E-N-W-H-Y Communication Strategies. Gen Y Communication Strategies helps companies around the country figure out how to better communicate with millennials and how to better retain millennials and bring them into their organization. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Obviously, it's a lot longer than 10 minutes. I didn't want to make people come and sit for just 10 minutes of content, um, but I thought it was a really great conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks again to Kristen and to Yellowhammer Brewery for hosting us. Thank you for coming. This is the first ever live episode of 10 Minute Tech Com. It's a tech writing podcast. Um, we're going to go longer than 10 minutes today because it's live. I don't want to make you come here just for 10 minutes of <laughs> content. That didn't seem fair. Um, so please welcome Kristen Scroggin. She is the uh, manager, what is, what is your official Owner title? and lead trainer. That's it, of Gen Y, that's mm-hmm. a W-H-Y, Gen mm-hmm. Y Communication Strategies, that teaches organizations how to communicate effectively with millennials. Mm-hmm. That's right. Do you want to say anything else about your work or what you do? Sure. So basically, I work with different organizations, nonprofits, um, uh, large Fortune 500s, I go in and basically drop a giant bomb of things are about to change and they're going to happen very quickly and what are you going to put into place to begin working um, towards having, uh, being able to preserve a legacy, right? So one of the big things, and this is probably something you're going to ask later on, but I'll just kind of hit people with it up front, is that a lot of people don't know that 46% of the American population is under 33. So... That means we're in a situation now where you either figure out how to attract and retain top millennial talent or your company goes under, right? Mm-hmm. We're, not, we're not in a place now where you can say, oh, they'll conform or they can just get out. We're like, okay, we better figure out how to get the best and the brightest or we extinguish. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I ran across all these stats and did all this research and, and I just go into companies now and say, here's where it is and how can I help you begin making steps towards um, preserving your company in the next 30 years or so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's really interesting because when you read about all the whining about millennials online, the tone seems to be like these millennials are messing things up and they got to, they got to ship up, you know, shape up and fly right and, you know, (laughs) fix themselves so they can work in corporate America. And your attitude is the opposite. Opposite. Corporate America has got to change to accommodate this generation. One of the things that that's like one of our big points of conversation is that millennials are reformers they're not conformers Mm -hmm. they're reformers they're not conformers you're never going to shove this square peg into a round hole so the problem is is that the harder you try to force people to conform the more likely they are to bounce out and go start their own business and now you have another layer of competition Mm -hmm. so in the world where we live in where Huntsville right where you've got a lot of government contracts and a lot of bids and a lot of people going for the same thing a lot of people don't realize that every time you run off a rock star you potentially create another competitor for your organization so we're the opposite on that we basically are coming in and saying um, I don't think you should switch everything, but I think you should start putting some time and energy into moving that mountain, right? One mm-hmm. stone at a time. We're not telling you to completely convert your workforce by any stretch of the imagination, but we're saying if you don't start taking steps, you're going to be in trouble soon. 
Great. So you've already mentioned I was going to ask you kind of what drove you to create this business. I'm sure you should mention it's, it's a business you founded in the last couple of years. Is that right? Right. But so when you're talking to these companies, you mentioned the reformers, not conformers aspect. What are some other things that sort of make millennials unique? What should people understand when they're trying to engage these people in the workplace? One of the, so one of the big things that I've learned with millennials is that everything that our society hates about them, we made for them, right? So most of the things that we're angry about are things that we actively put into place during their childhoods that were completely different than anything else. So I'll just give you a good example. One of the things that we check at Gen Y is who raised who, because the parenting style has a huge impact on the way that the child acts. So like, do any of you have children at all? Okay, so, so think about this. If you have a child, then you want to give them the things that you wish you would have had as a child that you didn't get to have. Without spoiling them, mm-hmm. you still want them to have experiences. So for example, if you never got to travel when you were a child, you probably let your child travel a whole lot when they were, when they were younger. Or if, you're, if all of your pants came from Sears growing up, right, chances are you're going to Bridge Street and buy or, buying higher end goods. So we think about that and we think about who raised the millennials. Well, the the people that raised them are the second end of the baby boomers, which we call the flower children. So they weren't the kids that were necessarily at Woodstock, but they were the ones with all the culture. So they would have had all the posters on their wall Mm -hmm. and everything that they were being raised in was peace, love, dope, right? Okay, so think about this. So now we're gonna gonna look at that and we're gonna say, all right, well, what did the hippies have that want that they didn't get to have, right? Well, they wanted to travel around the country and go to music festivals. Mm -hmm. Are their kids doing that? Like crazy. We've seen a huge elevation in millennials traveling, going to Bonnaroo, staying in, you know, tents, Mm -hmm. people that can't be without Wi-Fi for 10 minutes, (laughs) collapsing on the ground, you know, but perfectly fine to sleep in a tent outside to hear their favorite band. Mm -hmm. So um, they wanted that. They wanted pot. Do their kids have that? Yes, they do. Right? So, uh, and then the largest divorce rate in our country also comes from those flower children. A lot of them got married and then later on in their life decided they didn't want to. Mm-hmm. So what did they do? They looked at their child children and said, whatever you do, don't get married. You're still growing as a person. And so we see average age of millennial getting married is around 31. They, we wandered around our houses complaining about things were breaking and we told our kids, don't ever buy a house, right? As soon as you want to go on vacation, your air conditioner will break. And so they're not buying houses. So much of what they're doing, we looked at them and said, whatever you do, don't get trapped in a job you hate. Mm-hmm. Don't be like mom and dad, right? Figure out who you are and what you love and be, don't accrue a whole lot of debt. Take it easy. Figure out who you are. And now they're doing that, and we're all really, really pissed. But they are accruing a lot of debt. Is that right? They are accruing a lot of debt, but it seems to be more in things that they believe they have to Mm -hmm. have as opposed to things that they select. So education. Education and technology are the Mm -hmm. two places millennials spend Mm -hmm. their money. Right. Perfectly content with, you know, 40-year-old pants if they're still in good condition. Mm -hmm. Actually, that's kind of on trend. Right, right. So um, it's, it's the older people above them that wouldn't be caught dead in three-year-old pants that right. are buying those things right. yeah. and perpetuating yeah. that. Well, and I mentioned that because one of the stereotypes of millennials is they all live in their parents' basement. And I'm guessing that one of the reasons that that <laughs> might be true is because they have so much debt from university that they can't. They have about. a lot. So, yeah. well, of course, university is like 400 times more expensive right. than when their parents mm-hmm. went to school. Um, and the inflation rate hasn't caught up fast enough to be able to make mm-hmm. that balance. 
And it's a situation now where if you don't have a college degree, it's basically this, the same as not having a high school degree would have been um, for a lot of the baby boomers. So we're in a situation now where not only do they have to have a high school degree, if they want to make serious money, they got to go on and have a master's degree also. So that equates to what for the Gen Xers we had as our bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. So they're having to have more school in their minds. It's costing significantly more to get that school. Um, and then they're not seeing a return on their investment because they got smacked down by the Great Recession. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is, too, with, with the whole debt thing, a lot of it is because they've been trained to be debt averse. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of the basement stuff is because, honestly, their parents have looked at them and said, it doesn't make sense. You don't know where you want to live yet. You don't have the job of your dreams yet. This, you know, you're, you're still just working at David's Bridal. Why would you need to go and buy a house now? Mm -hmm. So there is this sort of level of parents saying, logically, there's no, there's no reason for you to make a major life step if you've not also made these other major life steps. Mm -hmm. You're not in a serious relationship. You're not having children. You're not doing those things. So why would you go and do something that ties you to a particular area? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I like what you're saying because you're talking about the, the people who raise the millennials as part of a reason why millennials are the way they are. You know, there's this meme that I really like that's, you know, I, I don't remember exactly how it goes, but it's, you know, why are boomers always complaining about how we got trophies as kids? Like, we weren't the ones that handed the out trophies. the trophies, right? That like, was your job. Exactly. Like, you gave us all these trophies, and then you're complaining that we got participation trophies. The biggest the thing I tell all, all companies at the very beginning is that no millennial ever woke up and thought, you know, I'd really love an eighth place trophy today. Mm -hmm. You know, we decided yeah. that that was a good idea. Mm -hmm. We paid the money. We got PTA to go on board with that. We decided to take it back. And so, again, if you if you look at why that happened, what you see often in generations is you have the first 10 years and the second 10 years of a generation, mm -hmm. right? The, you've got the older brother and the younger sisters. Let's just use it that way. So the older brother's like, charge ahead, change things. Let's make the world new. We're disgruntled and we want to do something about it. And then the younger ones that's like, but let's all get along and be friends and be happy, right? So you see that happen with each one. You've got that, those older boomers, ultra competitive because they're the huge population surge. And so they're super competitive. So the second end, look at their, right? You've raised their kids and they're like, let's just take it down a notch. <laughs> there's no reason for people to be freaking out the amount that they're freaking out. And then there's this whole thing. People look at the Gen Xers, right? And they're like, you're lazy and you don't care enough. And so they're like, Rawr, okay, well, we're going to come in and do that. And the Zennials come in and say, but we want work-life balance while that happens. And we're just as happy staying at home and living in a tiny house. You see, and then you've got millennials that are like, let's change everything about the way that work looks and society works. And, and then you'll have this next set, the ones we call them iGen. iGen is going to be your 22-year-olds and below, 22 to 12-year-olds. Right now, 22 right now. 22 yeah. right now. Okay. 22 to 12. They're the younger sibling. Mm -hmm. And then Gen Z, which you've, you've heard that number, mm -hmm. that name getting dropped a lot. Yep. They're trying to drop that on, but iGen's going to stick, in case you're wondering. Okay. That's definitely iPad, iPod. Mm -hmm. They're going to like calling yeah. themselves that. Mm -hmm. And you don't call a generation something until they call themselves mm -hmm. They have to adopt it. Yeah. Just like we started calling ourselves Zennials mm -hmm. here recently because we're like, yeah, we're not like them and we're not like that. <laughs> So, um, so you'll have that iGen that's, that's going to come in really hot. Mm -hmm. But again, you think about who the parents are, right? Well, that was going to be Gen Xers who were latchkey kids, super independent. So they're going to look at their kids and say, uh-uh, you're not going to be like one of those 
millennials that doesn't know how to do anything, right. you're going to be like me, and they'll crank it up. And so watch. you expect a sort of a, a retract a backlash. Almost. Overwhelmingly, mm-hmm. we, we're already seeing it. I don't know if any of you are seeing it with even your employees just day to day. What we're seeing is those 22, 23, 21-year-olds are um, far more independent, much more open to trade. Um, they they don't want to now. Th- some of them are still babied by mom and dad, but near, not nearly that same sort of relationship. Much more of a, you're going to have to figure this out on your own. Go get it. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing, like, if you had a sibling, I don't know, do you have any siblings? I do. I have okay. an older sister. So yeah. if you have an older sister, let's mm-hmm. assume your older sister is like a hot mess, right? Mm-hmm. She just can't get herself together, which is the opposite of the expectation in a generation. Mm-hmm. So this, she's a hot mess. So your parents have to spend a lot of time and energy making she, sure she's okay and she has everything she needs and they're right all their resources are being directed towards the hot mess older sibling mm-hmm. well you as the younger sibling are going to totally have yourself together because mm-hmm. you got to remember to get yourself places where you need to go you you pick up the slack intrinsically and that's what we're seeing happen so millennials the are a hot mess in this, <laughs> in this metaphor in this situation yeah. those top part the top part but it's because we created it that's mm-hmm. the it's thing it's a mess of the older generations. It's a, it's a mess. I mean, and that's the thing. So you're going to have people that are going to listen to this today and they're always going to be like, oh, blame the parents. Oh, mm-hmm. you always want to blame the parents. And I'm not just blaming the parents. Society as a whole did this. Mm-hmm. Um, so can I, I'm kind of going a, a yeah, little no, fast this is here. Great. But this is great. So let me give you another good example. Okay. So for everybody that's in this room, most of you are probably Gen Xers and above. So let's just go with that. So, <laughs> so let's say, let's see if you remember some of these things. Do you remember um, playing kickball when you were in school? When you were when you were playing kickball in school, did you get picked or did you have an actual a unit where all the teams were pre-assigned? Because if you were a millennial, right, you had a unit, and the teacher would feel sorry for me because my glasses would have been this big, mm-hmm. and so she'd make me the captain, right? And the the person who was actually good at it. We wouldn't be keeping score. We wouldn't spend a lot of time on that. Where for, for Gen Xers and above, we knew what competition was. You had all these things from the time you were really, really young that were measurables, right? So, for example, if you had any baby boomers, let's just use that as an example. If you have a baby boomer, you probably remember having, like, you'd have a test, and your, your teacher would write your full name and the score and everybody else in the whole school, right, and your whole class. Then they'd take that piece of paper and they'd stick it on the door outside, so that everybody who was walking by would see that, mm-hmm. right? So you had, not only do you have the public shaming of, right? Like, oh, Ryan made a 43, right? You have that that helps keep you in check, mm-hmm. but you also see where everybody else ranks. So now if you're making a 67 and Joan is making a, four, a 94, you begin naturally thinking, huh, what's Joan doing that I'm not doing? Mm-hmm. Do our students ever see each other's grades? No, not even at the college level. They don't see each other's grades. So they don't have a measurable, so they end up jockeying over stupid things. Like with us in college, they'll come in and be like, I I believe I deserve a 97. And you're like, you have a 95, relax. Oh, I never thought about it that way. It's because they're jockeying. They do that, which does happen. You know, I get a student who will say, you know, I have an 87, isn't that a 90? You know, but they don't necessarily they have no clue what that other person made they don't know what they did differently so they're gonna the assumption is gonna be that they're getting underserved Mm -hmm. and so they're gonna come at you and make you confess that you've underserved them where normally you haven't and so Mm -hmm. you look at them and say no look this is this and this is this and this is that Mm -hmm. but because they've never seen anybody else's stuff 
and this happens all the way up to kindergarten, right? There's do they no, not, do they no not compare themselves? I'm curious. Like, I always assumed that students were talking about their grades Immediately, right? Immediately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what happens is, let's say that you've got a kid in your class. You'll see them, too. You'll notice now more than ever. Right after grades come back, there's this, there's this mm-hmm. what did you make? What did you make? What did you make? What did you make? Right? And it's because they're jockeying for position amongst, amongst their peers. Mm-hmm. They don't really want to see the work, though right Mm -hmm. they just want to know that they were better or worse than someone else around them so if they actually want to get better as a person they'll go to that person and say well let me let me read your remarks or let me see what your feedback was or like what did you do that was differently than me Mm -hmm. if they don't really want to go back get better they'll go and harp with you about the score because for them it's more about the number making sure that their number makes matches other people's numbers as opposed to the quality of what it takes to get here versus what's here. Which age group are you talking about? Right that's the millennials in particular. So that's your 33-year-olds and below in particular are those ones jockey, really jockeying for position. But they, but they don't want to work hard to get better? They don't know how. I really believe that a big part of it is what we, did, we spent so much time giving you a trophy and giving you an award and giving you an A just to make your mom shut up, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> that they don't know what the difference between good and excellent and an average is in the same way that everyone else who when you got a C you know exactly why you got a C and you knew how you matched up with all the other people around you so having that that lack of comparison makes it difficult for them to evaluate excellence what about role models are there any kids in the the class that are really good everybody knows they're good and they say well I'll try to be more like that well, what we've seen is they have a tendency to alienate that person. I don't know if you noticed oh, that. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. There's there's more of an alienation of that person as if they're some sort of oddity or freak and that nobody mm-hmm. could ever actually attain, attain the things that they do. And um, so they'll slap a big label on them or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and so, again, it, it, they'll go to that person, but it's more in figuring out how they match up against that person, not figuring out how they can become like that person. Mm-hmm. Now, when they come in knowing that they have a weakness, okay, so for example, let's say that I'm going to come into a class, I know I'm horrible at math. So what I'm going to do is go and find that person who I already consider a freak of nature at math, and I'm going to pair myself up intelligently to get that person to help me through. Not because I want to get better at math, but because I want to self-preserve and not ruin what everyone else thinks about me. So when we, when we made it where people had these trophies regardless, right, we made it really, really difficult to be able to prove that you are more excellent than another person. So if they think, hey, I show up, I play, I don't play, I get, I, I, we score a goal, we don't score a goal, we all get fifth place trophies anyway, mm-hmm. they don't know the difference. They, don't ha- they don't, haven't earned it like you have. So here's the, another thing that's so interesting. It affects their self-esteem. Because real self-esteem comes from knowing you busted your tail to get somewhere, Mm -hmm. right? That's when you actually feel proud. When you don't know if you've busted your tail or not, it feels empty. It becomes just a degree, just a paper, just a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Just passing through because they didn't have to bust it hard to get there. So when they do have to bust it hard, right, when they have a professor that's major challenging, for example, or a boss that they respect but really presses them to be their best, that's when they excel. If it's just, hey, Miss Scroggin likes me, she's gonna hook a brother up, mm-hmm. right? Then I'm never they'll never get any kind of self-esteem. Mm-hmm. But the problem is is that we spent all of the 80s making sure they felt good about themselves, right? 
but now we're seeing that it's very, it was actually very empty. Mm-hmm. Are they brazen? Can they talk back? Can they stand up for other people? Can they tell you what you're doing wrong? Yes. But does that really equate to self-esteem? I don't think so. Um, and that might be why they spend an exorbitant amount of time building an online profile and then they have a sort of second life that's their real life. Because they, they feel like they must maintain what's been set up for them even though it's not remotely feasible. Well, and that's a good point too in that if you're always sort of getting recognition for you know a job well done or not, the, the, one of the critiques of millennials is that you know they're snowflakes, they're afraid to fail, but you're saying that we kind of set that up as well and kind of everybody always gets recognition and they're never taught. It's okay to, to be in third place. Okay. Absolutely. Well, and we've, and we've done it, we do it all the way up to college. Mm-hmm. So I know you've had, you've had seniors sitting in your classroom, right, that have looked at you in their last semester of school and been like, if I don't get a midterm review sheet for this class, I'm going to write it on your student evaluation. <laughs> and you're like, good, I don't read that anyway, right? But, but they're like, it's a punishment. So that what happens is we, we set them up with all these things, exact syllabi, quota, everything they have to have. So in their brain, they're just checking. Mm-hmm. But is that good or not good? They don't know. They're just checking to make sure that it's there. And as long as all the numbers line up to get them to excellence, right? then they don't really care if they actually are excellent. So it confuses things uh, all along the way. So yeah, I I would say society as a whole made this. Another big thing that we did is we really disempowered our culture. So if you were like a Gen Xer or a baby boomer, let's use that example. As a Gen Xer, you had people that were in your life that had permission to sort of knock the edges off of your personality, Mm -hmm. right? You had people around you, teachers, that scary piano teacher lady, right? The get off my lawn guy, right? Like whatever it is, you had these people. Culture said, these the elders have the ability to tell you what to do. Well, we slowly retracted and retracted and retracted that, right? Where now, if we got to a place where a random stranger was telling your kid, hey, don't, don't talk to your mama that way, we would defend the kid mm-hmm. as opposed to telling the adult, go and do that. Where we all remember, you know, your teacher would look at you and they'd be like, baby, you just can't sing, okay? You're just gonna need to step touch in the background. And now, if that happens, somebody would call the news. My child's being discriminated against. So you have less of these people that have knocked the edges off of your personality. So if you think about it in terms of like a diamond, if you were a boomer or a Gen Xer and you lived in a small town and your grandparents were around a lot, you had a lot of refiners in your life, right? They were polishing that diamond up. So when you come into the workplace, you're pretty polished. But then you have a whole society of people, none of whom have permission to polish you up. So now you're coming in in a less refined state into your workplace. It's not that you don't still have this still value as a diamond does, mm-hmm. but you're coming in less refined. So we think you should be coming in at the same level that we came in at, at 23, 24, 21, for getting that from a society perspective, we haven't, nobody's rubbed the edges off them at all. So what are, let's shift gears a little bit, because I'm interested, you know, like I said, I read a lot of millennial bashing online. It's so mean. Yeah, a lot of, you know, get off my lawn style <laughs> comments from, you know, even Gen Xers who are like, ah, kids oh, these Gen days. Oh, Gen Xers hate everybody, don't feel uh, bad. But I guess my question is, let's flip this. What are either some of the stereotypes about millennials that aren't justified or what are their strengths? I mean, they must have strengths that they're bringing into the workplace and into society. So millennials are unbelievably resourceful, okay? They know where to go to find things. 
and they're not afraid to go and poke around and blow it up, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that's a problem in some industries. <laughs> They'll go and try to DIY fix that, mm -hmm. the air conditioner until it blows up, um, and then somebody has to come in and save the day. But as far as being uh, unafraid to go and try something new, we find they're definitely unafraid to go in and just switch it all up. Mm -hmm. Fearlessness. Mm -hmm. And we, we definitely have become a society where we, we've gotten more and more safe, really sort of after the 80s as we went through recession, we play it safe a whole lot more. And so to have some people come in and just be like, let's do this, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know what to do with those people. But that's how businesses grow. That's how companies develop. That's how NASA put a man on the moon was by having people come in and say, impossible, Psh, we'll, we'll make mm -hmm. this happen. And that's what they're doing. So one of the big things that they're, they're, that they're doing is they're fearless. The next thing I would say is that they think rules are stupid, mm -hmm. and that's a good thing mm -hmm. because we have an unbelievable amount of rules in American work that make no sense whatsoever, right? So a good, a great example would be what we wear to work. So mm -hmm. that comes all the way back from the, the military right. um, of you wear a uniform, right? And you show how powerful you are based on your clothing. So if you have stripes or dangles or hats, right? Mm -hmm. People can see by your clothing how powerful you are. Well, now you've got a whole group of people that don't link clothing to power whatsoever. Right? They wore a purple shirt because they were feeling very purple today. Mm -hmm. And they don't look at anyone else and say, oh, your suit makes you look so powerful. They wear it because they know that other people consider it to be a powerful thing to do. So a millennial, so like I'll just give you give an example, especially with government contractors here in Huntsville. I'll go in and they'll be seeing no clients today, right? And every single person I see will be in an undershirt, a long sleeve button down shirt, a tie, a jacket, pants, wool socks, mm -hmm. shoes. And you're like, it's 95 outside, right? This makes no sense. Nobody that is working today got up in Alabama and thought, you know what? I'd really love to put on eight pieces of clothing. Mm -hmm. Nobody did that. Society trained us into that. And so millennials are looking at these people and they're like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I'm not going to do that. I don't work any harder in my pajama bottoms than I do in my jacket. And so when you force them to conform on something like that, that they know does not actually affect, they feel like it's a personal violation, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You can't tell me what to wear. You can't tell me what to do. Something is flashing, flashing outside. Flashing yeah, out our there. listeners at home can't see, yeah. but something is flashing yes. outside of the room. <laughs> Right so yes. there, there's this sort of idea of um, there's all these rules and they don't make sense. Um, for example, red tape bureaucracy, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there's how many times have you been in an office and you know that the person you're talking to is going to be the final decision maker and yet they'll look at you and say, you know, we really should form a committee about this. And you're like, no, because you're going to end up doing whatever it mm -hmm. is you want, George. Why would we do that? <laughs> And they're like, because that's the way we do things, right? And millennials look at you and say, that's, the stu that's stupid. Mm -hmm. We're just wasting time. By the time you jump on this now, it'll be outdated. So uh, the, the rule breaking is a huge, mm -hmm. huge, good, positive thing. They also move faster than anyone else. Mm -hmm. They're super productive. Mm -hmm. um, and that really makes a lot of companies super mad. 
I tell a lot of a lot of companies, one of the first things that I tell them is it is not a millennial's fault, but it takes them 20 minutes and it takes you two hours. Mm -hmm. Right. That's not their fault. Right. So stop being so pissed that they don't fake busy mm -hmm. because across America, we spend an exorbitant amount of time pretending like we're working. Mm -hmm. And millennials will basically look at you and say, I don't get paid to fake work. So yeah. either give me more work or. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a great point. It seems like it's really, if someone is doing the same work faster, why are we critiquing that person? Well, and again, <laughs> it, it, it comes all the way back to that military, right? Mm -hmm. It was about show up, first one there and last person in. Mm -hmm. It has very little to do with what you produce while you're mm -hmm. there. It's just, were you there on time? Was your, what was your visibility level? And millennials are like, who cares if you see me, if I got all my work done, why are you, why are you freaking out about mm -hmm. it? So what's interesting is they're going to change a lot of how work gets done. So building giant buildings and investing all this money and right, mm -hmm. th that's going to go away. They're going to say, hey, let's just meet at Panera, mm -hmm. you know, every three, three hours I um, mean, every three days and, and we'll meet there until we get something solved. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the money that we spend on utilities and building buildings and banking, loan, a lot of those things will naturally sort of sort themselves. Mm -hmm. Because millennials are not about wastefulness. They are very against wasteful, mm -hmm. wastefulness. And they're very concerned about the environmental impact. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we should see a lot of that come back in. And that's going to be huge for companies. Because think, if you didn't have to pay rent or utilities or someone to clean, how many more mm -hmm. people could you hire to be productive? Right, right. So is it fair to say then, you say that they're rule breakers, is it fair to say that what they want is like a rationale? For, like they're not just going to like you well you told me to do this so that's what I'm going to do millennials are so far away from that military command style it doesn't make sense mm -hmm. the mama told me so they didn't even grow up in mama telling it looking at them and mm -hmm. saying because I told you to mama even sat down with them and said well let's talk about how this makes you feel moon child mm -hmm. right so they they've done this and now we look at them and we say I I'm your boss I gave you a command you go and do it and for you to question me is unacceptable and they're saying that makes no sense give me a why mm -hmm. if you can give me a why then I'll do it but if you have no why then that's busy work and that's wasteful mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. if I'm smart spend all this bloody money to come here on this college degree so I can check a box for you why wouldn't you not want me producing while I'm here and and we say shh in about seven years you can have an opinion until then, bring me your coffee. So, is we talked about this before we started recording. You said that you know millennials really aren't going to change. You know that's <laughs> one of the assumptions that I think older you say older people have is well, when they're forty or fifty, they'll be like I am. <clears throat> you you don't think that sort of the machine is going to grind them down? Absolutely not. At all. Yeah. No, I think okay. Here's here's what I've learned in millennials. Millennials are brilliant because they know how to find out any information in the world. Mm -hmm. What they don't have is wisdom. And wisdom is what comes over time. Mm -hmm. So when you begin to combine this, as they age, the beauty of wisdom that comes from learning how to refine, fixing your soft skills, mm -hmm. right, doing those things with the brilliance of constantly finding resources, then you'll have an absolute powerhouse. Mm -hmm. So a lot of historians, sociologists, Communications people, everyone says that when they're so, when they sort of hit their prime, realize that they're the majority, mm -hmm. which they don't know still. Yeah. Um, realize that they're a majority and get some fiscal power, then things will begin flipping very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, and and the bottom line is that boomers are not the majority. It's not even close. 
Um, the boomers currently make up only 22.4% of the American population. And consistently, when I ask them, they think they're 64%. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, you're dying, right? <laughs> like, y'all lived hard. You lived through the heroin of the 80s. Mm-hmm. So, right, you encourage people to smoke to stay thin while they were pregnant. You lived hard. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing is that there's, they're, for, they're forgetting. They knew that they were part of a massive generation, but they're forgetting that other people are coming along faster. Mm-hmm. And so they still think they have the numbers, but they don't. And so when the millennials get the numbers, you'll see a lot of things flipping. Mm-hmm. And when they realize they have the numbers. They and realize when they it. have the... The resources, because my guess is boomers are, what, 22.4% of the population, but I'm guessing they hold a lot of the they wealth, a lot of the wealth and resources and And they don't plan on letting go of that. The most recent AARP survey says that 40% of baby boomers plan to die at their desk. Hmm. No intention of retiring whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So they're going to maintain that until companies decide, you know, what they're going to do. How right. are, are we going to, are we going to bring people, more people on as contractors? Are we going to leverage this experience? Um, one of the big things, you know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are, are frustrated by this, is a lot of companies have set up this mentorship program. Do any of you have mentorship programs in your company? Well, the problem with mentorship programs is they don't work right now. The idea is is that we can take, let's take a young person and an older person and let's throw them in the room and they'll magically share secrets, <laughs> right? So here's the thing. Boomers know that they were part of a massive generation, Okay. They outnumbered their parents three to one, and their parents said, compete, 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 compete. Everywhere they went, they saw kids. So one of the things that they learned over this time, this competition drives almost everything about them. Mm -hmm. So they learned that if you can become a subject matter expert on something, then no matter how big you mess up or no matter how big of a jerk you are, no one can get rid of you. Mm -hmm. So they learned very early on to begin hoarding information. They don't say it as hoarding, but that's what's mm-hmm. happening, yeah. okay? So you have this hoarding of information. Then you have on the flip side of this, what you and I encounter in the college situation, of a lot of our time we look at our college kids and we say, we're gonna teach you a lot of theory, a lot of educational learning. Don't worry, your bosses will tell you exactly how they want you to do things. But all those bosses are expecting them to come in with their fancy degrees, knowing everything which you and i know like there i have 18 year olds i wouldn't trust to take a piece of paper from one side (laughs) of the campus to the next so just because you got a piece of paper even then doesn't mean you've got any intelligence it might just mean you're a really good cheater right so the problem is is they're expecting them to come in knowing how to actually do tasks the way that their colleges did where now college is very much about theory and balance and other somebody else will teach you skill Mm -hmm. when you get there so you've got people up here that are experts at skills, right? That don't want to pass them down. And you've got people here that are expert at theory and computers and intelligence that are desperate for it. But this person's never going to look at that person and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to give this person all my trade secrets so that they can um, work at double my speed and half my pay. <laughs> like they're never going to do that. Mm-hmm. Self-preservation. So the problem is, is we can't get knowledge transferred down to the millennials And because we look at our millennials and think, you're still stupid, why do you not know anything, even though you've been here 10 years, I can't promote you, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the boomers aren't giving them the knowledge to be able to move up the ranks. They're not mentoring them in the way that they're designed. And and many Gen Xers got a lot of mentorship from from the baby boomers, but we've learned that Gen Xers are so antisocial, we're very much just get stuff done and go away. Mm -hmm. We're more of the worker bees 
half the size. Actually, millennial, I mean, uh, Gen Xers are 40 million. So we're half the size on generations on either side. Hmm. So sort of somewhere along the line, we kind of looked at everybody and was like, you know what? I'm never going to be as powerful as that person, right? And I don't want it that bad Mm -hmm. to make the sacrifices. And I'm never going to be as fast as that person. So let's just get through this. Right? So you have this sort of plotted along, right, of the Gen Xers. So the problem, what we're really, what companies are really not estimating and planning for and why this is so important is because, okay, those boomers eventually have to fade out, right? I mean, it's just the nature of human life. They have to fade out and they're not going to Uber to work, right? Mm -hmm. Because those people are going to kill them. So you've got that sort of level. But what they don't realize is that a lot of those Gen Xers are going to be leaving at the exact same time Mm. as a lot of these baby boomers. Because the Gen Xers don't want to die at their desk. Don't want to die at their desk. And we're able to start investing in a 401k very, very early where those, those boomers had pensions get cut while they were going in. They had a 401k, but you couldn't move it from company to company. It was how they got loyalty, right? So they're the ones that really got screwed, especially the second half got screwed when all the money dropped out in the Great Recession. It's those second people. So what we're seeing is is that the Gen Xers and the the Zennials sort of held their ground through all of this. A lot of hustlers, I don't know if you noticed that, almost every... Almost every Gen Xer I know it has a side hustle. They're selling LuLaRoe or they're doing podcasts or they're writing books. They all have something. They're selling crap on eBay right, still. Yeah. They're hustling. And so they're, they're overwhelmingly the number I see is that Gen Xers plan on retiring at 57. So they're not even going to wait to 66 because the expectation is boomers are going to have, have already drained all the money mm-hmm. by the time they get there. So... They're already planning on having their 401k. They're putting more money aside. They're looking at their kids and saying, sorry, babe, I'm not paying for your college, right? They're looking at their parents and saying, you're going to have to figure this out. I don't know what to do. I'm just trying to make it. So they're not feeling like they have to take care of everybody on all the different ends. So their money should be set up to be able to retire much more mm-hmm. solidly and earlier than anyone else. So we're going to see that you you mentioned this massive shift where millennials are going to realize they have power. They're going to match wisdom with the sort of intelligence and drive that they, that they have. And that will simultaneously correspond with a lot of Gen Xers and boomers retiring. And it's really going to be this big cultural shift it's going to be a massive cultural yeah. shift yeah. massive um the good the big thing is is that we've got to make sure we train those second half those iGens to be good worker bees mm-hmm. right <laughs> so because you're going to have all these visionaries at the millennials that are going to want to sh- take everything and flip it upside mm-hmm. down so we've got to make sure that we still have people that can get the pe- get the donuts made <laughs> right so but that's good you should see a lot more of that happen and definitely with those 12 year olds and below they should be from what we've seen very much like the traditionalists of um they're going to be like because they lived through the great recession as children mm-hmm. where the traditionalists lived through the great depression mm-hmm. huge amount of parents in the military involved in the military very american americana and then the parent a huge return to the military as the great recession hit those younger zennials mm-hmm. who are the ones who have the Gen Z's, mm-hmm. so you'll see a lot of that. Plus, you'll have the not my kid syndrome. You know what I mean by that? Because Zennials and Gen Xers have had to work with the Millennials, and they're like, by God, not my kid. Mm-hmm. So they'll swing in the other direction. So it's funny, you'll watch like 12 year olds and below, you'll see they'll making their kids say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am now. Mm-hmm. They're making them learn to shake hands much earlier. When they go to a restaurant, they either hand them a phone or they say, no, we're going to behave and you're going to do what you're supposed to do. We're controlling screen time. Mm-hmm. Right? A lot yeah. of that 
is happening now in response to what, what those Gen Xers say. So as long as we got worker bees on the back end, it's going to be fine for us to have this sort of revolutionary turnover. But the way we do work now should change completely. So getting back to the way that we do work now, though, one of your jobs is to tell these companies how to communicate effectively with millennials. Because you're saying, don't drive them away. You're creating competition. <laughs> don't treat them like you know, they're stupid. Everything is their fault. Why are you so messed up when it's really you know, a situation that we created? So what is your advice? What do you tell organizations that you work with about communicating with millennials effectively? So one of the big things that a lot of companies are looking, th looking for is they want some sort of like magic step-by-step -step potion mm -hmm. that's going to work. You're going to give me some sort of little dosage. I'm going to make my millennials take it, and they're going to conform and do everything I want. So what I've seen so far is that it actually is very, very corporate culture driven. So the solution is almost always going to come from us sitting down with the company and saying, what do you want this to look like in the mm -hmm. next 30 years? What directions do you need to take? The other big thing that I have learned is actually part of why we have constant problems with millennials is because those Gen X and those middle leaders were not trained. They've not been trained to be leaders whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So when the Great Recession hit, the first thing that went throughout companies was training. Mm -hmm. So we continued to have people progress, right, up through the ranks mm -hmm. with zero with leadership no preparation. training. None. And we did this stupid thing where we looked at them and said, you know what, you're a great engineer. You know, you're so good at engineering, I'm, I'm going to give you some people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're like, dude, they only became an engineer because they hate people, right? So that's the problem is we looked at it and we took people out of the thing that they're good at. We gave mm -hmm. them people and then we gave them people that are completely different, think different, mm -hmm. move different, work different, everything different than them. And we said, go manage them even though you have no skills to do so. And we're not going to equip you to do that. Mm -hmm. Right? So what I would say the first thing is, is it comes down to training. Mm -hmm. Nine times out of ten, you're going to have to train your middle managers what how to manage other human beings, mm -hmm. how, to, how to resolve conflict, how to have difficult conversations, um, how to control nonverbals, all of that stuff that you would think people would know, they don't know. And then you're going to have to train your millennials on how to play the game because mm -hmm. they don't know how to play the game. So one of the big things I, tell, I told my students in my 313 class is, okay, I get it. You want policy change. But the problem is, is you can't get policy change if you don't have a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. And you can't get a seat at the table if you can't play the game, mm -hmm. right? So we're going to have to train them on the things, the, how do you make strategic planning mm -hmm. to be able to move yourself towards a place where you have enough rapport mm -hmm. with other people to get more of your way. Do you frame it that way, though? Because it seems like my understanding of millennials is to say they don't like to play the game. They right? don't they like hate, to play the they game. They hate the idea of playing the game. But so, they really want to win. Okay. Right. They, they want their trophy, right? They don't. Exactly. Yeah. They really want to win. Mm -hmm. So it's more of a framing of where we say, if you, if you really want to have that business card that says CEO, mm -hmm. you're going to have to temporarily, right, move some of these things that you're so passionate a little bit to the side. I'm not saying chunk mm -hmm. them all. I'm saying right now, let's just go without the blue hair for a few months mm -hmm. until you can find maybe an advocate in this department or this department. And as you build relationships, then you can begin inserting more of your viewpoints into mm -hmm. things. 
So that's the problem is, is they're, they're mm-hmm. on, on the whole, they've not been trained right. to do face-to-face no. relationships. Well, and that's one of the critiques of millennials is that they come in with entitlement. Is that an accurate, is that a fair critique or not? What do you think? I, I, you know, the funny thing, I, what I've run into with entitlement is that it's one of those words that people use all the time that they all have different definitions for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like a lot of times what other people refer to as entitled, I would consider condescending would actually be the word mm-hmm. that they're looking for. Or they'll say they're entitled, and I would say, no, that kid's just a know-it-all, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a difference in that. Um, I do think that you're going to have people that say, I paid my money, I got my paper, give me what I want. Mm-hmm. But I think those people were going to say it regardless of the age levels that they were <laughs> born into. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just it, we've jumped on the bandwagon of, oh, yeah, these millennials today. Um, and it's good. People like to know, especially if you are a Gen Xer or a boomer, you like to know how you stack up to everyone else. And so you want to make sure you keep those people down there, mm-hmm. right? Because then you continue to feel good about yourself. Mm-hmm. So I think that we've jumped on the bandwagon of um, hazing, for lack of a better term. We haze the heck out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just try to break them until, until they do whatever we want. But the problem is, is that you've seen that they don't. Um, they just bounce and go somewhere else. Sure. So you've got places like, let's just use Amazon as an example, that it's understood. They get the millennial, they get the way that they work, they understand the style, they give them time to, to recover, to do work-life balance, work mm-hmm. whenever you want, core hours, all this kind of stuff that millennials prefer. So what happens is you have people that came from a very rigid place that are flocking towards these other companies and that's why they're excelling so, so fast is because they're getting the best and the brightest of that generation mm-hmm. over something as, as easy as having food every few steps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it really does. For one, what I've found with my millennials is it comes down to, to providing a lot of basic needs, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm going to be here eight hours a day, I don't want it to stink. I want it to have good lighting. I want to be able to talk to people when I have a break. I want to be able to get food. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to, you know, gr- jump on a bike and ride around for 15 minutes and nobody bite my head off. Mm-hmm. And we we took all that away, right? So a lot of them are saying they're, they're flocking towards that, and those places are blowing up because they're getting the best of the best. Mm-hmm. So I, what we're going to see is what I tell a lot of companies is you're going to ha- you have to figure out the difference between a standard and a rule, right? Mm-hmm. There's a difference. Standards don't drop. Let's use a hospital. You should try to keep people alive. That standard should not drop, okay? Whether that nurse has blue streak in their hair doesn't have any any bearing on whether they are good, right? And the bottom line is while grandma might originally get kind of pissed that blue hair comes in, once he re- she realizes that blue hair is really attentive and can stick without hurting, she's not going to care. So we're making assumptions based on our own issues that in the heat of battle doesn't really mm-hmm. matter. So you're talking about companies and organizations need to be more outcomes focused. That's exactly what millennials want is mm-hmm. stop worrying so much about where I look like and how I do it and mm-hmm. what time of the day I do mm-hmm. it. If you're happy with my report and it's quality, then you need to leave me alone. Mm-hmm. And that's what the, the problem is, is that we want to continue to push these, right, these old school standards. And millennials are like, no, I'm not going to do that. I just refuse. Yeah. And we're pissed mm-hmm. because we kind of wish we were that brave. Right. right? Sure, yeah. A lot, I mean, I mean, how many people that are older wish they could have 
told their boss off for all oh. the stupid rules that they've lived through. A million times. Yeah. Is there a lot of, do you think that some of this does just come down to resentment? Like, well, I had Absolutely. to do this. Absolutely. So why don't, you should have to not have blue hair too, because I never got to have exactly. blue hair. Uh, yeah. It's the same as like academia, right? Mm-hmm. You see, like, you like if you if you can survive the level of hazing, you'll walk out yeah. with a floppy hat, right? Yeah. So, but it's so much of it is, I went through this, I want you to go through this, and we, we, we pretend in our mind that somehow that made us better people, but it didn't because our Prozac levels wouldn't be as high <laughs> as they are if it did. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're acting like that made us better, it made us stronger. No, it made you meaner, right? You got, you're getting more divorces, you have horrible relationships with your children, even your dog doesn't like you anymore. Like, that's not better. And millennials are looking at us and saying, yeah, you know, you have all this stuff, but you're not happy. Why would I do the same thing you're doing? You're miserable. I'm not doing that. And we're like, how dare you? Mm-hmm. And it's because we're resentful. Right. I mean, every time I walk by all the beautiful condos or drive by up in, in Huntsville, I'm like, oh, why did I buy a house? <laughs> I could have had a gorgeous I could live condo. Downtown. I could live downtown. Yeah, no why responsibility. Yeah. Oh my God, you stupid fool. You could have had dogs, <laughs> boarded them. Like, what were you thinking? So. That's the thing is a lot of our issue is we look at them and we're like, fight the power. Just kidding. I'm the power. Don't fight me now. <laughs> um, but what you've seen is a lot of the zennials, people that are 30, let's see, right around 34 to 44, they're kind of sidling up next to those millennials hmm. because millennials are in there fighting for that work-life balance. Mm-hmm. And we're like, yes, tell them, right. get it. Because we've never had the numbers before. Mm-hmm. They've always been able to look at us and pat us on the head and say, maybe in a few years, mm-hmm. we'll get to it. When you're the boss and you're like, I'm never going to be the boss, dude. You're never going to leave. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of getting behind them and giving them momentum to kind of get a lot of these programs in places. And that's why you'll see these companies that are blowing up are either Xennial-led or Gen X-led because they know how to get those people stoked up. They're, they're like, if they go and start their own business, then it's not going to look at all like the super traditional business that they left. And so they're giving millennials more of the things they want, and they're getting higher productivity because of it. Great, great. Um, well, this has been great. I guess we'll um, I'll open it up if there's any other questions. Questions. Um, from, from the crowd. From the crowd. Yeah. What you got? Uh, well, I, actually, I came here. I'm a uh, member of a Toastmasters club. Okay. And uh, I'm interested in millennials as a, a potential group of members for the club. We don't have any millennials. In the, in the, we have, uh, well, millennial starts or ends at, what, 33? Mm-hmm. 33, 33 to 12, basically. Well, we did have one college student who was 28. Somebody somewhere along the line told them to take it. She described herself as an old soul. All the people currently have are over 35. And I'm wondering if many millennials don't need public speaking skills. They do, but they don't think that they do. So um, I'll just give you a great example. We've set up our schools to minimize a lot of this, even by calling them soft skills, right? We've minimized their importance. We're all about hard skills, writing, you know, like not even writing, right? It's reading, math, science, STEM, go. And you're like, yeah, but then that person's a jerk, and so they don't stay. 
So the problem is, is that they actually desperately need that because they're coming out with no training on it whatsoever. And then their boss is looking at them and saying, if I'm going to pay you 50 K, you're going to do some of these presentations. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, uh, I don't know how to do that. No, I'm not. So the big thing is, is that they need it, but they don't know that they need it until they get to work. We didn't, we took that out of the, the curriculum, like at UAH, our engineers who give more presentations than any other major in the world mm -hmm. don't have to take a single class. Not a human communication, not a public speaking, nothing, right? And so they go in not knowing anything other than the style of teaching that their engineer teacher did, right? And so they latch on to the first people's presentation style that they see. And so we perpetuate really crappy PowerPoints because we, right, we've de devalued the importance of that. It's all about the content. It's not about the presentation. Where in our human minds, we know that that's completely the opposite, right? You could talk about any drivel in the world. And if it's entertaining, you'll at least get my attention for the next 20 minutes. So what you're looking for is to strike that beautiful match, which is what Toastmasters talks about, right? Is how do you keep people involved and entertained and still give them content that's gonna give them sort of value added. And that's where we're missing the bank, right? Most kids that would come through my college class thought, oh sweet, this is gonna be an easy A, and then they were mad because I worked them to death. Uh, because I believe it is genuinely a skill that sets you apart in today's society from anything else. So one of your big angles here is to say, all right, when you walk out with your accounting degree, what makes you different than every other accountant? Nothing, right? However, if you're an accountant that can give a presentation and not make everyone in the room die, now what sets you apart, right? So that's what we're gonna have to do. You have to reinsert the value. Same thing with an English situation, right? We have to come back in and say, okay, super, you're an engineer. But what if you were an engineer who also could describe to the technical writer how you wanted something to be written? Wouldn't that be super, mm -hmm. right? So you have to come at it from a value added perspective to them. Remember, everything's about them, okay? So you have to, you have to come back to this idea of this will make you more marketable, more money. Your life will potentially be happier, right? So let's stack. Yeah, you got this here, but you missed this one little thing that's going to be vitally important. Let's go get you that. Um, I will tell you that societies as like, I work with Home Builders Association, Rotary Club, all of these things are hurting, hurting, hurting for young members. I personally believe if they rerouted the way that they did meetings, things would be completely different. If it was more of what, what, what millennials want in a mentor relationship is something that they can't Google, okay? They want your story. So if we switch things around to where it was much more about so-and-so being able to sit up there and tell you how they got from Podunk City in Alabama to CEO in Nashville, I'm interested in coming now. Mm -hmm. But if all you're going to do is get up, say the pledge, read this thing, eat the same food every single time, I'm going to have to listen to people that I don't care about, give horrible presentations that are no value added to me, they're not going to come. And that's the problem, is that in lowering the standard for how quality presentations have to be, it's actually had a ripple effect on all of our societies, mm -hmm. all of our associations, because we all expect entertainment, right? Mm -hmm. We have Netflix, we don't have to watch commercials. Right? They run the credits over on one side while they're starting a new show. You're in an entertainment-based society now. 
And so just being brilliant isn't enough anymore. No one, I, I can't tell you how many engineers at UH I've said nobody cares you're smart. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares. Because people leave jobs because of the people they work with, not because of the job. Mm-hmm. It's because they hate the humans. So if we could teach them how to be less hateable humans, <laughs> then we can give them a better chance at finding value in what they do, hitting job satisfaction for once, not bouncing, turnover should reduce. A lot of it comes mm-hmm. down to if we help their soft skills and we show them how this helps their soft skills, then we can give them value added in every other facet of their life. One, one of the things that the, uh, the young lady who used to be a member said that, that she would like is an environment like this to hold the meetings. Much smaller and much cooler. They want to chill, they want it somewhere they can have a beer. Yeah, and and uh, we're meeting in churches. Oh yeah, they don't want to do that. <laughs> they don't go into a church normally, much nah. less go for a meeting. But uh, that kind of blows me away, you know, that they, they, it's the atmosphere they want, not the uh, acquiring the skill. Absolutely. I can't tell you how many companies I've told you, I've told, if you want to have a successful mineral program, the first thing you need to invest in is booze, right? It's you, you're going to bring people together and let them sit around at a table and drink free alcohol for a little while and give them some free food, and you'll be able, people will naturally find people that they resonate with, and it will it will grow organically, and it's they want this they they want a chilled out atmosphere with alcohol where they can bring their dogs where their spouses can go over and hang out with their friends and they're still getting something at the same time, and the more sort of formalized it is the more they rebel against it. Are, you mentioned societies are hurting. Is it true that millennials aren't joining as many things just in general, like they're... Right, and again, you have to remember that they went when they went to high school, right? We used to have beta club, all these clubs that would select mm-hmm. you. You got tapped to join our club. Well, when they were all in school, if you paid the $25 and you filled out the application, you're in. You're in, yeah. So it's, it's a shift in perspective. So they, if they don't see, um, that's part of why, why I've seen with millennials too, is if they perceive uniqueness, like if they perceive that this is super high value. So for example, like not everybody could come. You're a special member. You're a VIP. You're, you're one of our selected, right? We've got, we go, we're going to go over to UAH and we're going to watch the communication, what, three or four communication classes, and we're going to select members and give them a free membership. And they'll be like, yes, I am as special as everyone thought I was. Let's do that. It's like I was talking to um, UAH, and they were talking about how do I get the alumni to come back. And I was like, give them all a trophy. They were like, no <laughs> kidding. And I was like, have a dinner. Pick one from every single year. Pay $5 to engrave their name in it. And they will come. And they will put it on social media. And they will dress up. And they will bring their spouse. And they will tell their parents. And they, Right? They'll do all these things. In, in, the, in the lack of specialness, in that everybody can join, why would I want to join? I want to be selected, hand-chosen, picked. And, and that's one of the things that associations don't do. They say, hey, give me your money, you're in. And um, that's not elite enough for them. They're like, well, let's start my own foundation. Right? <laughs> I'll run and then I can drink beer. <laughs> Club, right? So it's, it's finding the unique angles um, definitely, you know, if you became, my advice to you would be, if you became the Toastmaster, well, that was the cool Toastmaster, right? The Toastmaster that met in different breweries each, right? It's the, oh, you know, the brewery Toastmaster. You're, it, would, it would go on fire because they know they need the skill. They just don't want to have the formality 
that goes along with that. And you're going to have to add a social element to every single thing that you do. You're going to have to have some beer, some pizza, some 20 minutes to sit around and chew the fat right before you say anything. And anything that gets said that night has to be something they can't Google. It has to be something that is value added directly from the heart of whoever your presenter is. Otherwise, it's just another activity. And they're in for the night. <laughs> Once they go, so a lot of these people came straight from work. They brought their clothes mm-hmm. with them. Yeah, we had a running group outside, you know, dozens of uh, runners who've already left. Who They've are already, already left. For the they're night done. At eight they're o'clock. done for the night. Eight o'clock. Yeah. They're down for the night. Mm-hmm. They're going to get in bed at nine o'clock, just like a normal 34 year old would do, right? But they've had their sort of social outlet, and now they're going to go to their home location and shut down for the night. Did that help some? I think it. I think it probably did. You're going to have to cool it up. I know that. The problem problem is, is that you're going to have this natural rebellion, right? What's going to happen is the older members are like, we shouldn't have to accommodate them. We add value and they can get over it. Okay, then cool. Die as a club. I don't know what to tell you. And that's basically what I'm doing is going into companies and saying, look, you can take everything I say and flush it, right? Like you already wrote my check. So you can take everything I said and flush it. But if you're smart, you'll start bidding on this now because if you don't get on the front end of it you'll be on the back end a great example was the first the first people who got notified about digital cameras was kodak they didn't bite and now who uses film anymore (laughs) right and so you have if you see something coming if you see a wave coming you better go get on it or else you're gonna you're gonna get swamped by the wave as opposed to riding it I think that's a good place to end, unless there's any other awesome. questions. Great. Can I, can I put a little plug in for, yeah, for my company? Do. So, yes. um, I work. My company is Gen Y Communications, G E N W H Y Communications dot com, uh, and you can go there and you can see samples of our speakers. We've got videos of our speakers, so you can find people that have different styles um, to see if they're a good fit for your particular company or your organization. Um, and we just get, you just get on your schedule. Big range of prices as far as being able to work with us because different clubs and organizations are in a different place. But um, we definitely think this is important, and we think that companies that get ahead on this are going to have the edge over their competitors. And it, you know, I personally think it is value added every time I'm going to come in. I'm going to be pro your millennials, which is it's a freak out. Everybody mm-hmm. can't believe it. Um, so your millennials are not going to be mad. They're going to be happy about it. Your boomers are going to be mad, but I'm going to make them laugh the whole entire time. So they'll walk away knowing themselves, each other, people. They're just going to be disgruntled at the fact that they're going to have to change. But that's part of growing up. So um, that, that's a little bit about Gen Y. You can follow us on Facebook at Gen Y Communications. We're also on Instagram. Um, we are right in the process of setting up um, webinars, subscription-based webinars. We'll do one a month um, where people can pay you know, a small fee and participate in the webinars, and then we'll have recordings of that later on. And we're going to do those for businesses. So like HR managers will have one set, regular managers, people that do this every day, and then we're going to do one specifically for families. So oh, cool. it's more like, yeah. you know, like, why does grandpa think you're soft? <laughs> or why does, you know, great uncle Joe have to argue mm-hmm. no matter what? So looking at each one of these through the lens of your Thanksgiving table mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> why, why you all kind of hate each other. Right, That's well, a little hey, bit about it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yay! Yay, 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 yay. Thanks so much. <laughs>